Good evening. This uh, lecture will be the Refuat Israel Chaim Ben Tamara, and will be Leilui Nishmat Menashe Michael Ben Lea. That's Benji's grandfather, Alav Shalom. He passed on Thursday. Nishmato Tzrora Betzrora Chaim. Last night, I spoke in, Queen, in uh, Brooklyn in Kafkazi uh, Shul with Rabaron and Shaulov. I spoke in English, he spoke after me in Russian, very good lecture. It will be actually a series of three lectures speaking about what's happening now and about the parasha. I started it yesterday, I will continue today, and tomorrow will be the final one about it. Now in case uh, you are not aware of what's going on, I started to explain yesterday that this is a very serious time, very, very serious tragedy is happening right now. Uh, Israel, unfortunately, the left took over the, the, the government, but it's not just left. It's enemies of Hashem, enemies of Torah. Already they have a list of dozens of laws to promote more gays, to promote more transportation on Shabbat, to promote anything that the reform wants to do, which is totally nothing, nothing Jewish, that's for sure. And to recognize their conversion and to give them a piece from the Western Wall. All the decrees of Antiochus are waiting online now. That's already announced. But I'll tell you what is the biggest tragedy. The biggest tragedy is that in Israel you have one person with Nazi ideology, 100% Nazi. Everything Hitler says, he repeats word by word. The only difference is that Hitler, in Shimo, spoke about all Jews. He doesn't speak about all Jews because he himself is supposed to be Jewish. He speaks about religious Jews, meaning the same way Hitler hated Jews, he hates religious Jews, to the point that in an interview on television, in life, Live uh, uh, news, he say you have to put all the religious Jews in a wheelbarrow and dump them to the garbage. That's how he talks. This is the kind of politician we are talking about. Everything he does, he dedicates all his efforts to destroy the Torah, the religion, the yeshivot, to fight against the Bachure yeshivot. And guess who is becoming now the minister of finance? Him. That means that in an in X amount of time he will be in office, he's going to pass every possible decree against the religious people. He wants to draft them to the army. He wants to shut the budget of the yeshivot. He wants to force them to teach all kinds of secular studies in yeshivot. It's a very serious problem. On top of that, he's the most corrupted person in the history of Israel. He has dozens of investigations against him, corruption, but Putin is behind him. The strongest man in the world become your apotropos, meaning he's, he's your guardian angel. Nobody can touch him. Millions of dollars are coming to his accounts every year from Cyprus, from all kinds of countries. Money goes into the account, they investigate him about the money, he sits and laughs in the investigation. There's nothing they can do. Just in case you don't understand, if you would like to wire $10,000 to Israel right now, 
10,000, not 3 million, like he gets. 10,000, the banks in Israel will send you back the money next day with demand. Explain where the money came from. They're afraid of money laundering. The United States government is holding them by the neck, by the throat. They don't want to take risks. They already pay a few fines here, millions of dollars. So every transaction, give us a letter from your accountant, from your bank, from this, a tax return. Big headache. Basically, you can send money. If you buy a house or something, you have to show contract. Ah, oh, such a headache. You have no idea what's going on. But he gets millions of dollars sending him, sent into his account. Nobody says anything. He doesn't have to prove where the money comes from. The police already said, this is bribe. They asked him, why did you get $3 million for? He said, the Russians asked me to help them to raise the value of the ruble. <laughs> How this guy can raise the... That's his answer. And he laughs in their face. I don't even know if he's serious or he's just making fun of them. There's nothing they can do to him. This is who we're dealing with now, Rabotai. The devil himself. The, the biggest enemy of Judaism in the world today. Worse than KKK, worse than uh, all these other anti-Semites. And he now will control all the money. It's bringing the cat to watch the cheese. Make sure the cheese remain here, okay? Watch the cheese. That's what they tell the cat. That's what's going on. So, last week... We got this horrible news that an evil, wicked government in Israel is taking over. What week did it happen to us? The week that the spies were willing to destroy the Jewish nation and keep them forever in the desert just for their own sake. We are presidents right now. We are in power. Once we move to Israel, they will nominate a king. They will nominate a king from the tribe of Judah. Judah is the tribe of the kings. Once they will nominate a king, you don't need presidents. We will all be fired. So who cares what Hashem wants? We only care what we want. And what do we want? We want to stay in power, but what, it's not good for the Jewish nation. It's not our problem. Same thing happened now with this corrupted politician. They sold their values, their ideology. They went with the left, totally against what they preached all their career, just to be in power. Few days passed. This coming Shabbat is Parashat Korach. Similar issues. Similar Korach gathered 250 leaders, bring them to rebel against Moshe. What was his end? Hashem opened up the ground and the, and the ground swallowed him and all of them alive with the whole family, with all their belongings. Today, in Israel, the same thing happened. There is a hospital in Jerusalem, Sha'are Tzedek. I think it's in Jerusalem. That's the name of the hospital. In a parking lot, you can see the video. The entire parking lot, the ground opened up and swallowed the cars. 
on, on video. Why would Hashem do it now? Parasha. Last week's, so you see, everything that happens relates to the weekly chapter that we read in, in Shabbat. If, if the hospital is righteous, weakest, I, I don't know, but the name of the hospital is Gate of Justice. That's the name of the hospital. So I think that's the reason why Hashem chose that hospital. Gate of Justice. Gate of Justice, meaning Hashem is hinting to us that that's what's going to be our end. Not necessarily us, the end of those wicked people who are willing to destroy Israel. Now comes the next tragedy. One year, the budget of all the yeshivot and the religious institution in Israel is one billion shekel. About 270 million dollars for the whole year. For that budget, they did not stop butchering and slaughtering the religious people in the news from day after day, night after night, hour after hour, every Israeli will tell you that, you can ask them. Not, you never saw such a propaganda. Massive attack against them, parasites, you do not contribute, you don't go to the army, what do we need you for, what do we need yeshivot for, massive attacks against them. For how much? One billion shekel a year. Who leads this attack? This Lieberman, which I told you is going to be in charge of the money now. Now they needed all to sign to join few parties to form a government. You need 61 seats. He has seven. The Arabs have five. Without the Arabs, they have 56 seats. They need 61 to have a majority from 120. 61 is a majority. So they need the five seats of the Arab. The religious people have 16 seats. 16, not five. Almost triple. Well, more than triple, actually. More than triple. They have five. The religious people have 16. So it's a little bit more than triple. So if the religious people got one billion shekel a year, how much the Arabs should have got? About a third of it, no? It's based on how many people you have sitting there. How much he offered them to join him, even though he hates Arabs more than Hitler hated Jews. Nobody ever spoke against the Arab worse than this Nazi. He hates religious Jews and he hates Arabs. He hates them very much. I mean, you have to see some of his interviews, how he talked about them. Openly, he doesn't care, he has Putin behind him, nobody can mess with him. How much he offered the Arabs to sit with him in the government? Who knows? 53 billion shekel. Not a third of a billion. 53 billion signed, guarantee. He is the one who will give them the money. 53 billion shekel, destroy Israel. Just to get rid of Netanyahu, who saved Israel from Holocaust with the vaccines. Just to get rid of him, he hates him very much. Just 
to take revenge against Netanyahu is willing to give his biggest enemies, the Arabs, 53 billion shekel. After he butchered the religious people for one billion a year. For one billion. Do you understand what politicians are? I've seen a lot of dirty politicians in my life. But dirtier than him and Bennett and Gideon Saar, those three, you don't find in any country. Three people that sold their truth. And they have hundreds of interview, interviews they promised to the nation. I'm a righty. I will never sit with lefties. And all the speeches they gave, in the end, in the end, they went with the other side. Everyone who knows me, he knows that I'm speaking against those liberal, wicked lefties for more than 20 years. How would you feel if on the next lecture when you come here, I would bring Bernie Sanders and Jack Schumer and Nancy Pelosi and all these garbage liberals and put them on a stage and come and kiss their hands and say, let's make a, let's make a party together, let's be all friends. Let's work together. Would you be able ever to look at my face after that? If you would be able to look at my face after that, that means you are worse than me. <laughs> but if you have any decency, you will never be able to look at me. And you know what? You want trillion percent right. Because that means that 20 years, everything I preached to you was all a lie. I just showed my real face. That's exactly, exactly what just happened now. 20 years they spoke against the left. And one manager joined the left and the Arabs to destroy Israel. How can you not cry? Everybody asks me now in Israel, but how come everyone is quiet? How come the religious people do not make riots on the street, go million people on the street, scream, do something? The answer is we became piece of ice, cold. Indifferent. Everyone gave up already. I don't know, maybe it's because of the corona, destroyed us mentally, maybe it's the corona and other things, I don't know. I think that people are so much into their materialistic life and condition, they're so much into it, it's like a drug addict. When a drug addict is into his drugs, he cannot respond to anything anymore. He gets tickets, he gets invitation to court, people want to sue him, uh, police are after him, doesn't care about anything. His mind is into his addiction. Once he's there, that's it, he doesn't care. That's really the situation of people today. Everyone is so addicted to their nonsense that nobody wants to do anything. Back in days, something like this would happen, the religious people would block Israel for two weeks. Nobody would be able to come out. All the streets, everything with signs, screaming. Just 20 years ago, they brought 600,000 people and screamed, Shema Israel, shook Israel, shook. They were shocked. Wow, look how many religious people in one place. 600,000. Not, not even 600 people. Not even 60, not even six. Why? We are brain dead. That's really what happened. We are so much into our nonsense that that's really what happened, unfortunately. You know, 
A month ago, we had a big tragedy in Meron. 45 righteous people died to give us extension. Instead of 10, 20,000 of us that should have gone, Hashem took, picked the roses, the best 45, all Bnei Torah, young, fragile, did not even make sense yet. Marash, holy people. Each one of them worth hundreds, perhaps thousands of people on a scale. In, in uh, quality, we're not talking quantity here. In quality, one of them, one of them is they were stepping on his head. He's in a badem and hundreds of people walk on his head. Another foot and another foot and another foot choking him on his neck. He cannot breathe in a badem. It's similar to putting a person in a gas chamber that he cannot breathe, you know, gas. Similar, maybe even worse, because in gas chambers you don't have physical pain, you just choke. Over here was choking and physical pain. One guy in the bottom, young boy, religious holy boy, was screaming, I forgive everyone who choked me. He was screaming, I forgive everyone, and then he died. And then one, one, one Hasid started to say, Shema Israel. Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. While he was saying Echad, like Rabbi Akiva, his soul came out. Those were the, the people that Hashem took. Who have the head to scream Shema Yisrael in the last three seconds of his life when he choked to death? I think that from panic, we won't even remember that one word of what to say when you have three seconds left to leave. Just from the panic, you freeze. These people actually reached the level of Rabbi Akiva. In the last moments of his life, he said, Shema Israel, when the Romans were cutting his skin with lines of blood, with medals. Rabbi Akiva, while he, saw, he was 120 years old, you know, it's not easy to be in such an age and be cut to pieces. While they were cutting him, his mind was, I'm dying with happiness for the sake of heaven. So, uh, you know, we see all these things, we see all these tragedies, we don't know what's going to happen. Maybe Hashem has a plan. You have to know, there is still a little light in the end of the tunnel. A government of 61 members never survived too long. All you need is one of them will have to go out of, out of Israel, fly out, and they make a vote. The government does not have a majority, and they fall. And they have to resign. And you have to do another election. So you don't know how long, a, 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 how long a, a government like this will survive, we don't know. One thing we do know, that everything here is against logic. Nothing here makes sense. Just like if someone will tell you, let's bet for a million dollars that Rabbi Mizrahi will bring Bernie Sanders and praise him in his lecture. Would you put money on it? I would put all my money on it. The chance that something like this will, will happen is, does not exist. It's not one to a billion. It does not exist at all. But if it will happen... Everybody will be super shocked, right? Super shocked. You won't believe that some... If someone will tell you on the street tomorrow that that's what happened last night, 
you would hysterically laugh. You wouldn't give it 1% chance that it's possible. Right? And, that's, and guess what? If, imagine you go and you find out it really happened, you get the shock of your life. There's nothing here makes sense. So there's only one conclusion. Either he was fake all alone, or he basically lost his mind. I don't know, maybe they gave him a drug or something. People can be drugged, right? If they, they, they give someone a drug, I don't know, he's hallucinating. Similar to when you get drunk in Purim, you may say that Haman is blessed and Mordechai Shalom is cursed. How can you reach such level? Mordechai the Tzaddik, you think he's a Rasha, and Haman the Rasha, you think he's a Tzaddik? Can you make mistakes between the Gaon Mivilna and Hitler? When you're drunk, they ask you, who's the Tzaddik? Who's that Rabbi Adolf? <laughs> I think a person is going to finish two bottles of whiskey still remember who was the tzaddik, who was the rasha. <laughs> Last week, it's your fault by the way. Yeah. Last week, I don't know how we got to speak about water. And I made a big mistake, mistake of my life. What's the mistake? We spoke about king and water, remember? Who remember? King and water. I, I say I have the filter in my house, delicious water. You don't feel any bad taste in the water, very clean and light. It separates between the alkaline and the acid. So far everything I said was correct. Then I added one more sentence that came out of ignorance. You see, when you are ignorant about something, you better be quiet. And if you already made a mistake, you might as well run to fix your mistake, not to mislead people. So I ask, why do we need to separate alkaline and acid in a water? If Hashem made them combine, that's how we want it. Why do we have to invent a filter to separate the alkaline from the acid? Good point? Terrible point. Why terrible point? Because Hashem never put acid in water. People did. Yeah, you see how foolish I was? One mistake you make, <laughs> and you look like the biggest idiot. How the acid comes to the water? They, 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 do, they have all kinds of, there's a process. The water that they get from the lake, if you go to a pure lake that no human goes there and it's natural and it's beautiful and clean, when you drink water from there, it's almost all alkaline. You don't have acid in that water. Once you suck this water out with palms or pipes and you bring it into pools, you, don't, you want to avoid bacteria. You know, if you leave water for two, three days, it becomes green. For those of you who have swimming pool, you know what I'm talking about few days there's no circulation or that you don't put chlorine the, you come the whole pool is green so I guess they, in order for them to keep the water deserve to be drinked they have to put all this acid whatever they put over there this filter that the Japanese genius Japanese invented putting platinum inside supposedly it's clean all the acid and the dirt out of that water. Besides cleaning the water from being, it's also removing all the, that's why the water are pure and, and light. 
So I got a call from Shimon Kolyakov, Torah anytime. He is the distributor of, of uh, Alkanai. He said, Rabbi, next time when you don't understand about something, at least ask me. Let me ed educate you. <laughs> I really felt down. So, you know, you have to fix this. So, Baruch Hashem. So, let's talk a little bit Torah here. We're done with the, with the election. Hopefully we'll have a miracle that Hashem will turn everything around. But we still, I'm still with the, with the big tragedy of the spies. They're going to Israel. They think about themselves like the Zohar say. They don't care about Israel. They only care about their jobs and position and power and control and honor. Honor is a very strong drive among the human being. Very big. Many times a person has a contradiction between his love to money and his love to honor. Which one of the two a person loves more depends on a person. In general, many people as much as they love money, they love honor more. That's why a lot of people that usually are very stingy to praise their name and reputation, they pay money. Right? For instance, if you have someone who wants everyone to think he's the biggest tzaddik, when he comes to town, his assistant print a lot of big pictures and flyers, Tzadik Balair. It's cost thousands of dollars to print it and to send people to tape it everywhere on bulletin boards and they put in a newspaper an ad, Tzadik Balair. If you put an ad about yourself, hey, attention, I am a Tzadik and I'm coming to town next week. Wait online to make an appointment with me. Why do they need this headache for? I should rephrase my question. Why do they need to even come to town? Money. You're young, but clever. You got the point. He wants money. Sometimes the money goes to good causes. Not always it goes to bad places. He has yeshiva, he needs money, he needs to raise money, he costs a lot of money. So, now, okay, let's say the cause is kosher and he needs to really raise money. Just because your cause is kosher and you're doing good things with the money, you have to also be very careful how you raise the money. Meaning, if you commercialize the Torah, you make the Torah a tool to raise money, that's a very big danger. It may be productive in the long term, but will be devastating in the long run. I've seen throughout my career of 25 years speaking, few people that I worked with, that every lecture they did fundraising. People went to the audience with papers, give me your credit card number, how much monthly you want to do. And many times in the lecture, they sold things. When the lecture finished, we're selling this bottle of wine, blessing of Rav Kaduri. We sell this, blessing of that, $1,000, auction, all these things. There was a little Torah in the lecture, but the, real, the, the audience got the point that the only reason he came was not really to give a lecture. It was all about fundraising. 
I think it would be more productive if a person would come to begin with and say, I did not come to teach Torah. I came to raise money to my yeshiva. I think people would appreciate the honesty more than to tell them there's going to be a lecture and in the end the lecture become fundraising. To the point, to the point, that many times in the last two, three years, people are so fed up with that, that I've seen ads about a lecture that will take place by all kinds of Israeli speakers, and they write on the flyer, Bli atramot. No fundraising will take place. Why? Nobody wants to come. That's an example how it helped you in the short term, but destroyed you in the long term. Meaning that nobody wants to come because they're afraid that someone will come and knock on their head, give me a thousand dollars a month. He's afraid to come. So that's very bad. A lot of the speakers who actually did that actually disappeared from our view. Don't hear about them anymore. Why? Nobody wants to come because they were thinking in their mind, why should I go? The only, it's a fundraising, it's an auction. Why should I go? If somebody had told me, oh, they're selling something, I wouldn't go. And that's very dangerous. So that's an example. I have to, you have to be clever. It's not easy to raise funds. You have to have a strong emuna. You have to tell Hashem, I'm in your hands. Same thing in my private life, same thing with my yeshiva, same thing with the organization, 100% in your hand. Meaning, we don't humiliate anyone, we don't bother anyone, we don't make phone calls, we don't do dinners, we don't go to people's offices in Manhattan, hello, hi, I came to raise funds. It's guaranteed that you're going to get money. People will be embarrassed not to give you. If I would go to Manhattan to all the ballet tshuva that I have there in a jewelry district, can make $100,000 a day collecting. Each one would give me $500,000, $1,200, $1,500, offices, diamond dealer. But I'll never do it. Never did, I will never do. Why? You do it once, you do it second times, you ruin your reputation. After a while, you're done. It's very rare to be in business 25 years and not one person ever says corrupted is all about money. It's, I don't think it's possible to get such thing. People will complain it's too strict, it's scary, it's this, it's that, whatever. Those claims you hear not plenty. But corruption you don't hear. Why? Because it's very because they don't have what to hold it to. What are they going to say? Where? Sure. What? Anyone bother you? Anyone ask from you anything? Nobody. So what's your complaint? I have nothing to complain about. Unfortunately, today in the world, even if you're 100% clean, if you really have enemies, they make up stories about you. They make it up. Let's learn a little bit about the psychology of the human being. It relates to each one of us, by the way. Let's learn. What is the best investment that a person can make in life? Best investment. You have jewelry, diamonds, real estate. 
university, being a lawyer, being a doctor, engineer, all kinds of investment. Best investment, according to Hashem's advice, is to invest in Torah, supporting people that learn Torah, and creating Torah learners, meaning create Baalei Tshuva. Creating Baalei Tshuva is great, also creating converts is great. The Gemara say one of the reasons Hashem scattered the Jewish nation all over the world after they committed sins and He needed to punish them, when Hashem does something, usually have more than one reason for it. He could have given us a different punishment. He said, oh, if I already punish them and I throw them to exile, I will not put them in one country, all of them. I will scatter them all over the world. The Gemara say, why? Why? Because he wanted one guy to speak Hasidish and one guy to speak Litvish and one guy to be Temani and one guy to be Moroccan and one guy to be Syrian. That's the reason. The last thing Hashem care about is the accents of the people or what kind of fish they eat. I promise you that. Why did Hashem scatter us all over the world? The Gemara answer, not me, it's not me. The Gemara, Lo pizer Hashem et Yisrael ben haumot, Ela kedei larbot alehem gerim. That many goyim that are righteous, potentially, will look at them and start asking them questions, and the next thing you find out, they convert and become righteous people. Then they go to yeshiva, and who knows, 20 years later, they write books. We had, we had cases like this in the Jewish history. Shmaya and Naftalion, they were the rabbis of the Tanaim. Ilela Zaken used to go teach, by, to learn by them. And they were both converts. So two converts were teaching the head of the Sanhedrin. Do you know what it's like? It's like you ask Rav Chaim Kanievsky today, Gdol Ador, or Rav Sternbuch, Right? You ask him, who's your rabbi? John Travolta. <laughs> Ma? Well, he used to be. Now he became Yosef something. He's your rabbi? You're the biggest rabbi in the world and he was, he's your rabbi? This guy? The former guy? Yes. Who cares what he was? It's a new person once he goes into the mikveh. We learned from the, from the story, from the parasha, from the aftarah of this Shabbat, the worst woman on earth made tshuva, left the horrible job she had, and ended up marrying the most important person in the world. <laughs> the student of Moshe Rabbeinu, Rachav, converted, became Jewish, and the Torah wanted to tell you no matter how bad the woman was, she can become Sarai Menu. So there's no end to how great you can become. Let's see some of the things. The best Ashka with the biggest profit is Olama Shel Torah, the world of Torah. Don't ever forget that. If one day you'll be rich, make the Torah the source of all your investments. 
What's better? To be Zvulun or to be Issachar? Zvulun is the sponsor, Issachar is the learner. We already know that everything Issachar learns, Zvulun gets. We also know, I explained yesterday how we know, that when Zvulun died, even though in the time of his death he doesn't know any Torah, any Gemara, any Mishnah, any Halacha, he only gave money. But he doesn't know Torah. An hour before he dies, you come and test him on one page in the Gemara, he doesn't know. Once he died, within moments, Hashem insert all the Torah of the student that is sponsor, or the students, plural, inserted in his Neshama. Just like he did to Moshe Rabbeinu in Mount Sinai. Inserted the whole Torah in his head. Rav Chaim Ivolojin, I explained yesterday that one time there was a rich man who sponsored his yeshiva and when the rich man, before he passed, he asked him, Rabbi, can you say Mishnayot for my soul? Mishnayot helps the Neshama. He said, of course. After he passed, Rav Chaim Ivolojin used to learn Mishnayot for him and he got stuck in one Mishnah. didn't understand the Mishnah. This was 200, 250 years ago. We, they didn't have all the easy Mishnayas with explanation in simple language, in English, <laughs> translation on top of translation. He had to understand the Mishnah originally. So he got stuck in one Mishnah. He couldn't understand that. Guess what? At night, who came to explain to him that Mishnah? The rich guy. Oh, yesterday, if you would ask him about Mishnah, he wouldn't even know how to open the book. And one day after he died, he already came to him in a dream and told him the explanation to the Mishnah. So Rav Chaim Ivolojin said, I knew that Hashem insert all the Torah that the students learn to the rich people that sponsor them, but I never believed that it's so fast. The Shiva did not finish, and he already knows the whole Torah. So the question is, what's better? To be Sachar or Zvulun? If you Zvulun, you get full reward on the learning. And you get all the Torah of the learning. And you live like a king. You don't live in a tiny basement with leaks on your head and your wife's head. So you enjoy both worlds. You sit in your yacht. <laughs> Jennifer, did you send the check to the yeshiva? How much, Robert? 50,000. You sure? Yes. Make it 55. Enjoy life. Doesn't have to sweat all day learning, breaking his head to understand the Gemara. One day he died. He comes to the Rosh Yeshiva. Equal. Everything he knows, he knows. Plus he enjoy life. So what's better? Better to be Sachar. Now I want you to tell me why. I'm going to give you a hint. I'll give you a hint. The Mishnah say, Pad ba'melach tochal. You should satisfy, be satisfied by eating bread with salt. Nothing special. Bread, little salt, Baruch Hashem, have what to eat. Water, not filter water, not kengen water, none of these things. Water from the mud, good enough. You want to be ben Torah? Whatever you have, thank you. I'm not spoiled. 
sleep on the floor like a dog. ועל הארץ תישן. You don't have a $1,500 mattress. Paradise. No. What are you sleeping on? Straw. You put horses, the straw that the horses eat, and you sleep on it. In the morning, you have to get it out of your wife's hair, like Rabbi Akiva. Right? No mattress. You live life of sorrow. You live life of sorrow. And what's the end of this Mishnah? And if you live like that, Ashrecha ba'olam hazeh, la'olam haba. And if you live this kind of simple life full of sorrow, how lucky you are in this world, and needless to say in the next world. Next world, we already know why. You're very lucky. All your Torah is going to put you in a very good place in heaven for eternity. But why Ashrecha ba'olam hazeh? Better to sleep on the floor and drink a little dirty water and eat stale bread with some salt than to eat nice healthy sushi, some meat, some fish, all kinds of uh, cereals, fruits, live in a comfortable home. Didn't the Gemara say that three things makes the mind of a person happy? What are the three things? Nice home. Nice wife and nice utensils, metal telim, watch, car, things that your belongings, clothes. So it makes you, gives you a peace of mind. You have a normal suit, decent shoes, normal house, beautiful chandelier, Persian rug. Beautiful, look at this, all this mahogany bliainara. Much, much, much better atmosphere than a broken and, and rusty. No? This is 2,000 years in the Gemara. This is for the losers. Meaning, for the ordinary people, they need that. Someone that his mind is occupied with Torah... The last thing he cares about is the wood or the mattress or the chandelier or the food. The stipler at piece from the ceiling that fell. Every day his assistant bring him a cookie. And then the assistant came and he saw the cookies in, in, on, a, on the table. Rabbi, why didn't you eat the cookie today? I said, well, I ate it. Of course I did. I can't live without it. I, that's my lunch. He said to him, Rabbi, the cookie is right there. He said, if I ate the cookie or not, I can't tell you. But one thing for sure, I know I made a bracha. Because when he makes bracha, he thinks about the bracha. So he said to him, but the cookie is on a plate. They look up, a piece from the ceiling fell, and he put it in his mouth while he was learning and didn't realize Why? Because his mind is in a different world. The Chazonish say, I don't remember ever being hungry. Chazonish, they assign the person to remind him to eat. Because he never knew the difference between being hungry and not. Because he never ate on his own. They had to tell him, eat, eat, please eat. Why? Because his mind was all out of this world. 
similar to Moshe Rabbeinu. When his soul went up to heaven for 40 days, his body was on a mountain without food and without drink. You don't eat for 40 days and you don't drink, you're dead. But when the soul came back to the body, Moshe woke up, everything was fine. Why? Because the soul was not in the body. The body did not need food. Dead body does not need minerals. Once the soul went back into the body, I'm sure he felt hungry. So, Rav Ruven Karenstein, he said the words of the stipler. The stiplers complain that was 30, 40 years ago, maybe 50. The stipler complained, well, I always complain. So if he complained about that 40 years ago, imagine if he would live today what he would say. What was his complaint? That in our days you don't have speakers like we used to have. In the past, speakers used to run around and speak Powerful lecture, fire. People will shake, will faint from fear from the lecture of the rabbis 40 years ago. Today, can, cannot say the word punishment. Radical. <laughs> the radical speaker. When I went one time to Montreal, they put me with four Muslim mass murderer terrorists. Radical visitor coming this man to Montreal. Who put me over there? A reformed Jew. Imachshimo. The Chilul Hashem he made. You see, head of a terror organization. And another one. And four Muslim mass murderer preacher that preach to kill people, Canadian, Jews, American, doesn't matter. <laughs> put me next to them. Radical. The French, Moroccans, they didn't know if to laugh or to cry. <laughs> What's going on over here? The work of a trader Jew. He lost his Olam Abba for sure. So at least one good thing came out of it. <laughs> one Rasha will get what he deserved. Moiser, going to a newspaper to tell them to publish about another Jew. That's his end. That's it. But other than that, it's just to show you how stupid the world became. So the stipler say, today nobody does that anymore. Imagine if we'd live today and see the 16 people on my list, what they talk about. Imagine what. So let's move on. Now we're going to get to some very interesting stuff. Why it's better? Because the... The re when you get the reward by giving money to someone, you get your reward. But the main thing that Hashem loves is that a person gain the knowledge of Torah through Amal, Amal Torah. And the question that Chachamim say, why would you rather live a simple life? Why would you rather suffer in this world? We understand in the next world, but why over here? Because it's better in this world to have simple life on a border of being poor, pay your bills, don't need to ask people for, beg them for money, but, but, you 
will reach a much higher level of spirituality and you fix your midot much better when you're simple and down to earth than when you're very rich. Because when you're very rich, it will be very difficult to fight your pride and your ego and your lack of patience to people. And also the demands from, that Hashem has from you are so big that one out of a hundred barely will pass the test. The Gemara asks, what's better to be? Very rich? Very poor? Or an average? Average person pays bills, living a simple lifestyle, nothing fancy, simple car, simple watch, simple suit. Everything. What does he eat? Chicken with rice. Can't afford steaks every day. Cannot afford to go to restaurants. If you fly once every few years, of course, economy, and I can never dream about business or anything like that. Simple person. Or, or very poor or very rich. If you ask people, everybody would scream, very rich. The Gemara, the divine Gemara say average. Better to be average. If you be very rich, you will never fulfill your obligation in life to give a lot of charity. And you're going to be severely punished for that. So what good is that? Giving you something that will turn into poison and destroy you? That's not good. If you be too poor, the test will be unbearable. See your children hungry at home, screaming, jealous with the neighbors. It will break your heart, make you depressed. And you may, chas v'shalom, become a thief. Like a lot of poor people, they ended up stealing. Even now in Corona, I saw in Israel a show. Someone sent me a video, 10 minutes. Candy camera, security camera in a supermarket in Israel. Showing how many people steal bread. Some of them were caught. And they say, I'm so sorry that I got to this situation. I have hungry kids at home. If I don't come and steal this bread, they'll starve. What am I gonna, did you ever think that I'm going to steal bread? Before Corona, before I lost all my income and all that? People actually stole bread. One woman stole diapers. Someone come to the supermarket just to steal diapers. She could steal a lot of other things. But right now she really needed diapers. The baby needs diapers. What, what is she going to do? So that means people got to such poverty that they ended up stealing bread. In the Holocaust, the Jews were stealing potatoes from the Nazis. Or potato peels. When they peeled the potatoes, there were potato peels on the floor. It would be treasure. You know what it is to have to eat potato peels? With the sand on the floor. Pick them up. There's usually no water to wash them. So you remove the sand and you eat them because if not, tomorrow you'll be dead. Or your stomach will be like a balloon. You look like a skeleton. This is people who used to be multi-millionaires driving Rolls Royce with a chauffeur. Some of these Jews that ate potato peels. They live their life. It was Jack Schumer and Bernie Sanders and all these other lowlifes. One day they were on top of the country making laws, senators. 
a week later they were looking in a garbage for potato peels what to eat. Because Hashem said so. That's the truth. Hashem, there was one rich, there's a book about a rich family that lived three years in a sewer with rats like this. Three years in a sewer under the ground. They left their house in Berlin, beautiful mansion with art and fancy things. Took with them whatever they can and they hid three years in a sewer with rats like this and all the waste of the goyim will fall on their head every day. Just to survive the war. What a story. One month you give orders to the goyim in a bank. The next day the goyim come and choke you and you run for your life and they clean your house and they take away everything and somebody move into your house and that's it. Your gardener. Imagine now you live in a beautiful mansion around here, Queens, Long Island, upstate, doesn't matter, New Jersey. Chas v'shalom, if Holocaust would start here with these anti-Semites goyim, there are plenty of them here in America. The next thing, the gardener that come and you give him orders what to do, move into your house. That's what happened in Poland. The Polish occupied all the Jewish property and it became theirs. That's it. Imagine. Imagine the, your cleaning lady. She moves into your bedroom. And you live in a sewer. Why? If you want to know why, read Parashat Bechukotai and Parashat Kitavo. Read over there. 147 curses. One of the curses is that the goyim that live in Israel will rise and we will go down. And, we will, and they will terrorize us to the point that they will control us. And that's exactly what happened now. Arab terrorists from the Muslim brothers, Muslim brothers, Muslim brothers, friends of Hussein Obama, he helped them against Husni Mubarak when they make the revolution in Egypt. Then, the, what's his name? Sisi took over and kicked them out, the Muslim brothers. Worse than Hamas. Or just as bad. Muslim brother branch is Ram. Those five people who are now sitting and will decide in Israel what to do, what not to do for us, for me and you. They will decide how much taxes we're going to pay. The Muslim brothers controlling Israel now. Now remember, you don't need to have the whole government Arab. Five of them, every time you do something they don't like, okay, we resign. Government collapse. They hold you by the neck. Someone told me this will remain nine months. Like the Zohar said that the Arabs will control Israel nine months before Mashiach come. Maybe it started today. That gives us reasons to be optimistic. Nine months they'll be in a government, and then Mashiach would come, Bezrat Hashem. You're asking hard questions. This is a question for Hashem, not for me. Usually Hashem, I'm not Avraham Avinu, that Hashem has to inform me before he wipe out all the wicked people. Avraham, Hashem said, how can I hide from Avraham such thing? I'm going to wipe out millions of gays and thieves. How can I not tell the righteous person that that's what I'm about to do? So he came to tell them I'm about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Right? 
But to me, unfortunately, I don't get an email, a warning email. You know, I get different kind of alert. That one kid was kidnapped today. Every day you get alert, you know, to your cell phone. Alert. You know, top. Akalosh Baruch Hu obviously is in control. One very rich man in America has a bunker of gold, full of gold. Gold is very expensive. Rich people like to buy gold and hide it for time of trouble. You never know what can happen. One piece of gold, size of this, can be a lot of money. How many ounces do you have here? Maybe 30? 30 times 2,000. Huh? How much is that? $60,000. You take a few like this in a suitcase, and you have a million dollars with you. Much easier than to carry cash and all kinds of other things. And this you can always materialize it to cash. You come to the refineries over there, well, I don't know what you call it, place that they melt the gold. They weigh it and they give you money. So, he has a lot of gold. And the bunker has guards with guns and security and cameras and, uh, and lasers. So it's impossible to penetrate there and steal. But one made it into that safe. Who? A mouse. A mouse walked in. <laughs> no. Once the mouse walked in, he takes with his teeth a coin of gold and runs somewhere. Slowly, slowly, over the year, every day, take another coin, two, three, four, run, run. But he doesn't enjoy it. In the end, the rich man one day opened his safe. What happened? Empty. The Gemara called that expression Achbara Deshiv Adinare. Achbara is Achbar, a mouse. Shiv is Shochev, lay down. Adinare, on the dinars. What this expression is, who understand? Let's see who is clever. When you say to someone, you are a mouse that lay on the gold coin. What do you understand from this expression? Huh? We have to be very careful not to be a mouse that lay on gold coins. We meaning the mouse cannot enjoy the gold and cannot benefit anyone with the gold. Be careful not to be a rich person that never enjoys gold, meaning money, because you never donate, you don't buy mitzvot, you don't save souls, you don't produce CDs, USBs, books, seminars, yeshivot. So you don't, you don't enjoy the money because you're not buying anything. And you do not benefit anyone else. And then one day you die. And you realize, wow, all of that that I had, I could have gained fortune. And what did I gain? Just punishment. Because now it's the time to pay for not doing it.
In the beginning, Moshe said to the spies to be like tourists. Go and check the land of, of Israel, the Holy Land. The land of Israel at that time called the land of Canaan. Canaan, one of the seven cursed nations. Arur Canaan. Noach cursed Canaan was his son. Noach had three sons. Shem, Ham, and Yefet. Shem, Ham, and Yefet. Ham had four sons, meaning they are the grandchildren of Noach, right? Who? Mitzrayim, Put, Kush, and Canaan. That's half of the world. Kush, it's all the Kushim, the blacks. Kush means in the, in the Torah, a race that are black. Canaan could be also black. We don't know, but could be, they had the cares that there would be slaves. Who were slaves in the world? The black people. That's the history of the world. So that could be from the, from the, from the descendants of Canaan, which is Noach in the Torah, cares his grandson, Arur Knan, Eved Avadim Yelechav. He will be servant to all his others. So those Knanim are idol worshippers. They are in Israel. As we arrive to Israel, we have to occupy the land as God promised us the land to the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he's about to kick them out. How long did it take to occupy the land? Seven years. Joshua and the army went in with Israel. Seven years battle. And how long did it take to divide it to properties and tribes? Again, seven years. Fourteen years until finally each person had his own land. That's what it took. Moshe said to them, check if the land is fat. Or skinny, meaning we're going to get some good food there from the, from the trees or not. Is it a tree there or not? What's the pshat? Of course there are trees there. You know one place that doesn't have trees? Some trees have fruit, some doesn't. But trees for sure you have. Why you need trees? You may think for the fruit. No. You also need trees to make Tables, chairs, wood, all the wood in the world. Is Every house in America is from the trees. The framing, it's all wood, right? V'yitchazaktem, you be strong, ulkachtem ipri aretz, and bring the fruit of the land. Rashi explains something that looks a little bit strange. Ayesh ba'etz imayin, check in the land, if the land has a tree or not, meaning a kosher righteous person, a goy, kosher righteous Gentile, that his merit will defend the goyim against us. We just learned something unbelievable. Now one goy, righteous goy, can save his entire nation against the children of Hashem that has a promise that they're coming to the land and occupying it and kick those goyim out of Israel. But if you're going to have one goy like Eov, 
That's what he's referring to. Yov lived in Israel at that time. Goy, Yov, Tzadik. One Goy can be a stick in the wheel of your bike. You get you stuck. Stick. You're stuck. You have to wait until he dies. Why? The mission is postponed. Postponed. Why? We have a problem. This big tzaddik goy is defending with his merit all the goyim. That's, by the way, uh, we already had it before that. That Hashem said to, Av- to Avraham, if you're going to have ten people over here, I will forgive the entire country, the entire city. Ten goyim, tzaddikim. It was before the Torah was given. Ten righteous goyim and all San Francisco and Tel Aviv and Manhattan and South Carolina and Las Vegas, five war cities in the world, maybe Bangkok, I don't know, will all be saved. Why have ten goyim over here? This goy, that goy. Tzadikim. Imagine, imagine a goy, tzadik, how much power he has. Now imagine a Jew that is a tzaddik, that he keeps Torah, learn Torah. <laughs> now you understand a little bit what does it mean, the value of a righteous person? That's a good incentive to be someone like this. You come to the next world and you find out that thousands of people got saved thanks to your merit. That's what Rav Moshe Feinstein Zatzal said to the Jew that knocked on his door and told him that a Jewish boy just died on the street under his apartment. And Rav Moshe Feinstein told him it cannot be. He said, Rabbi, the yamaka is on the floor next to the body. Do you know Goim that works with yamaka? After you hear that, if you Rav Moshe Feinstein, you will say, wow, you would already digest the decree, no? He refused to digest it. He said, I'm sorry, it's not a Jew. Go check. Rabbi, there's a body of a kid with a yarmulke next to it. I don't know any guy that has yarmulke on his, on his head. Go and check. He went and checked. Came back shocked. Wow, how did you know? You're right, it's not a Jew. The Jew escaped. The guy that was running after him to beat him up he got hit by a car, while the Jew ran, his yamaka fell on the floor. And that's when the car hit that guy and killed him. So he asked of Moshe Feinstein, but how did you know? How you were so sure? He said to him, from all the places in the world, if Hashem wanted to kill a Jewish boy, I would bring him under my apartment when I learned Torah around the clock all my life. Couldn't find another place, meaning... He couldn't take him to Upper West Side or Upper East Side or somewhere in Jersey. There's a lot of places with a lot of wicked people. Why would I bring him under my terrace? Why? The Torah is a shield for the people around it. In Shanghai, Mir Yeshiva, 300 Jewish boys escaped from the Holocaust to China. The goyim put their missiles around the yeshiva. Told them why? It's not a base here. <laughs> they say we know your God is watching you. <laughs> Better to put our missiles over here. No one will attack over here. 
The Hamas terrorists, they asked them, you shot 4,600 rockets. You barely hit once or twice. Are you blind? You know what was the answer of the spokesman of Hamas? Spokesman of Hamas? What can we shoot and we train in training? We hit the target always. We even have a screen that we can aim to where the missile will go. But what can we do that their God is protecting them? That was his answer. But he's still shooting rockets at us. So you show you that it's not even his choice. That Hashem activate him like a robot. Because in his mind, he understands that Hashem is protecting us from the missiles. So why, why in a world you would shoot missiles at someone knowing God is protecting him? You want to get messed up with God even more? Today, Baruch Hashem, one Rasha died. We should make a party, but unfortunately a million like him are around. So, The founder of Hezbollah died from Corona today. Benji, check if we have some candies over here. Maybe some Bukharian sweets. Give to the people. And the best news is that the head of the Hezbollah now is also fighting for his life. <laughs> he gives a speech a few days ago, gave a speech he couldn't breathe. <laughs> that was his whole speech, coughing. Two days later, they say he died. Since then, I didn't see him. He maybe died. You know, by the Arabs, you can be dead, they keep you alive for three more months. <laughs> Just like in a six-day war, the Israeli destroyed them. And in Cairo, they said on the news that day, our soldiers already arrived to Tel Aviv. We destroyed the Zionist enemy. While they were saying it, they had thousands of dead. All their airplanes were bombed. The Israelis surprised them in the airport, destroyed all their airplanes and tanks. And just as they know that they are destroyed, Bismillah al-Rahman al-Rahim. <laughs> Such liars. Look at these liars. Unbelievable. Culture that is all built on lies. One Arab woman once told me. She told me, I don't understand why you're getting angry. We don't lie only when it comes to the Jews. We lie in every second of our life to each other. This is our culture. With no shame. Everything here is lies. Lying, lying, lying. Parents to daughter to father, father to wife, wife to... That's the culture. We, Chaz Shalom, should not fall into this habit. The Torah says, It's big sin. You're only allowed to lie if your life is in a risk. To save life, or the life of another Jew is in a risk. You're allowed to lie. Or if, we'll, if, you don't, if you say the truth, it will instigate between husband and wife, or between two people. So you're allowed to change the details to keep the peace. If a wife came to you and spoke to you about her stingy husband, how he tortured her with the bills, and a minute later the husband came to you and said, what did my wife tell you? You're not, you're not allowed to tell him. She said, oh, you're so stingy. You check every dollar she spent ten times and you scream. You're not supposed to tell him that. 
So what did she say? She asked me if I know where to get Persian tea in LA. Persian tea? But with Bukharians. <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> What's the difference? Five miles north? <laughs> you gotta make up a story quick. Why? If you tell him he's gonna go fight with her, it will end in divorce. Kids will be on the street. I did not want to lie. Five kids are killed because of your stupidity. So you see, sometimes there is an exception to the rule. But other than that, if you lie, Hashem cannot look at you. It's a clear verse. Who knows where? No, quick. Dover shkarim lo ikon leneged enai. Someone that speaks lies, I can't look at him. You lose the supervision of Hashem. Can look at you. Lo ikon leneged enai. Cannot stand still in front of me. Why? I can't look. I can't stand him. Some people, their entire life is lies. Lies, lies in the business, to the customers. All day lying, lying, lying. Destroy themselves to make a few dollars. You know all these salespeople, how they lie and this. Politicians lie nonstop. Imagine what's going to be their end. Every second of their life was lying and lying and lying. So we have to understand what... Okay, so there may be a guy that is kosher and it will defend them. But we have to ask how the spies will recognize a righteous guy. They have time to check million goyim one by one. Hey, Chris, let me look at you. I want to interview you. Who are you? I'm a tourist. I just came from Egypt. I was in a desert for 40 years. I'm, uh, I'm planning to make to move to this land. I want to check if you're righteous or not. First of all, <laughs> who gave you permission to enter the country? Did you get a visa? <laughs> Second, what do you care if I'm righteous or not? Why are you asking me private questions, right? How do they find out that there's going to be a righteous person? What, what mission Moshe is sending them on? They don't know anyone. They cannot find a kosher person because the more questions they ask, the more suspicious it's going to get. Where will they even start? How would you recognize which guy is, is uh, by Jew? Oh, it looks religious. He has yamaka, tzitzit, gemara in his hand. You see how he behaves an hour or two. You get an impression. Well, how are you going to get it by the guy? How are you going to know? There's millions of goyim with suits and ties and nice briefcase. How do you know which one is corrupted and which one is not? To answer all these questions, we have to make an introduction. Now you have to focus. In Masechet Ketuvot, page 112, the Gemara says, Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi is one of the ten people who went to heaven with their bodies. Ten in the whole history. Their body was not buried. Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi. Ikla legavla. It's the name of a place he went there. Gavla. Chazinu leanu ketufe. He saw bunches of grapes. Big. Big. They look like 
calves, the shape of them, from far, it looks, from far you thought that maybe it's a calf standing in a field, in a vineyard, it looks like, like, a, like a baby cow. Amar, Eretz, Eretz, he said, land, land, who are you producing such big fruits for? For these Arabs, supposed to be for us, we own the land. Next year, Ravchia came there. First year, it wasn't Ravchia, it was Ravi Yoshua ben Levi. Next year, Ravchia came there. Ravchia came there. And he saw from far that those graves look like the shape of a goat. Smaller than a calf. Smaller. He saw, he didn't know that a year ago it was like calves. Still thought they are very big. So he said, wow. Why would the land give such big grapes in such big bunches to the enemies of us? Right away the goyim came and said to him, go, go, go. Get out of here. Why? You made us evil eye. Don't make us evil eye like the rabbi that came here last year. <laughs> last year was double on the side. In one year it became 50% smaller. Oh, that's the Gemara. The question is, what was the claim of Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi against the Holy Land? He was upset that the Holy Land produced fruits to the enemies of Israel that sits there. Knan. All these nations, Yivusi, Girgashi. That's the nature of the land. Hashem say, the land of milk and honey. The best fruits in the world. And who cares why the fruit is produced for this country or for this nation or that nation. That's the land. The land is blessed and it has wonderful fruit and that's it. The other countries don't have good fruit? Also, maybe. From here we learn a very important thing. That the Holy Land, the blessing of the Holy Land is depend on who lives there. If righteous people, righteous Jews live there, the Torah promise, if you follow my laws, and you keep my commandments, the land will be fertilized, meaning lots of fruit will come out. And the trees will produce a lot of fruit. Meaning why Israel used to have, not anymore, used to have until 30 years ago, the best food in the whole world, until the goyim would import food from Israel all over the world, chaffa, oranges, peaches, everything from Israel. Why? Because there were a lot of religious people, a lot of righteous people, a lot of Shomrei Shabbat, there's blessing in the land. And the Torah says, if you're not going to keep my laws, you get tired of them, the land will not produce 
ועץ הארץ לא ייתן את פריו, no fruits will grow like before. You don't have another, another land in the whole world that the produce over there is subject to the behaving of the people if they're righteous or wicked. Not in China, not in Iran, not in Syria, not in the United States. Every year the same story in the United States for hundreds of years. Same thing in Syria, same thing in Iran. In Israel, it's depend on the people. More people are righteous, you're going to get some good produce. More people are wicked, gay parades every week. The fruits become bad. I can tell you that when I was a kid, the fruits in Israel were ten times better than today. When I go now, my mother always choose the best fruit you can find. Just like Persian people like to do. They always choose the best fruit. And they know how to choose. And my mother was an expert on choosing always the best fruit. Now, you open a mandarin, terrible. Just like in New York. Peach, like in New York. What happened to the fruit? What's going on? The answer, what do you expect? What do you expect? Hundreds of thousands of gays making the worst sins of death penalty and caret around. You want the fruits to be successful, to produce milk and honey? So many corrupted liars and people and mechalelei Shabbat and all kinds of things. It affects the quality of the fruit. But you don't have to believe me. You don't have to believe me. I'll tell you an actual fact. Fact, Ruven Yom Tovian, a Persian-Israeli farmer who has farms in Israel, said when he was young, he was picking up fruits 50 years ago. 50 years ago, just like I told you. One tree would fill a whole box. One box, one huge box is there. You know those big wood boxes that you need a tractor to pick up? The lift? One tree would fill up the whole box. Now, four trees do not fill up one box. It works with the same farms. Four, and the, and the box is not full. What happened? The sins of the Jews in Israel... Those are the consequences. So, Tanaim, of Yoshua ben Levi, he said, what's going on? How can it be that we, the Jews, with our Torah, do not live in a land yet, and the land had such big, huge, sweet, unbelievable fruits that two people need to pick a bunch of grapes? How can it be? It doesn't add up. The Torah says otherwise. That's really the question. The answer is written in the Torah. Eretz prilim lecha. Mira'at yoshveiba. It's written in Teilim. Psalms. 107, verse 34. We made sins. 
the fruits became smaller and drier. When Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi saw them, that those fruits are so superb and so great, he was wondering. I thought that these trees will grow only when we are righteous, but we didn't even come to Israel yet. So how does Goim have such blessing? He didn't understand. No meaning, Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi was 2,000 years ago after we went to exile. So he said, when we were here, the food gave wonderful fruits. Once we left, the food should have stopped. By the way, you should know, everything we know about the destruction of the second temple, we learn from the book of Josephus Plavius. What was his Hebrew name? Yosef ben Matityahu. In Romans, they, like today, you have a guy, Israeli. What's your name? Ziv. Two months later, what's your name? Matthew. Tov. What's your name? Moshe. Next, two months later, what's your name? George. What's your name? Yossi. Two months later, what's your name? Joe. Joe. Jo Joey. Right? Tom. All kinds of Goish names. Ev Howard. Edward. Johnny. Eugene. Eugene. Eugene Cohen. Aaron Cohen is pulling his hair off in heaven. He has a grandson named Eugene. You're laughing, huh? By Sfaradim, the same thing. Said. Said. Persian name. Said. All kinds of names. Abdallah. Abdallah, it's Ovadia. Ovadia became Abdallah. Like, jo like Yosef became Joey. Huh? Miriam became Mary, Rachel became Rachel, Rivka became Rebecca, Abraham became Abe, <laughs> right or wrong, or Albert, Yaakov became Jackie, Jack, Oy Labusha, Oy Lachlima. Imagine Moshe Rabbeinu will come to Yitro. What's your name? Moses. Huh? What's Moshe. Why are you changing your name? You have a name that is written in the Torah and you replace it with a name that people made up? You have a diamond, you replace it with cubic zirconia? Use common sense. When will you have more blessing that you use the name that is appear in the book of God as a positive name? Or you will replace that name with the name of some Rasha Goy that made it up? Francis, Albert, all these names. What does it have to do with the Torah? Ah, but there is a reason why people do it. 
What's the reason? The goyim cannot pronounce those Hebrew names. It's hard for them to say Abraham. It's hard for them to say all kinds of Jewish names. Yeah. So the question, <laughs> question is, that's one reason. Second reason, people do not want them to know you're Jewish. That's where the problem begins. That's when the problem begins. He gets better. When Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi saw what's going on, we were, were going to exile, and that's what happened. I started to explain that everything we know comes from the book of Yosef ben Matityahu, Josephus Plavius, and that's what he writes in his book. Fifteen years after the destruction of the, first, of the second temple, you could not find one fruit in Israel. Before the destruction, the markets were full of piles, boots, piles of dates and fruits. Honey, honey was dripping from the food. Honey, like you know honey? You put your tongue over there, it drips into your mouth. What happened to the land? What is the anger on the land? He, he was going off the derrick. He was not religious anymore. After, he is uh, the most authentic historian in the time of the destruction of the temple. If this guy did not leave, we would not know that much. Besides some words that Chazal told us. Everything else we know from his book, Milchemet HaYehudim, The Wars of the Jews. Everything we know. One of the things I read over there, he described that in a short period of time, a land that was full of huge, dripping honey fruits became all mud and desert and swamp and nothing is growing there for 2,000 years. Until the Jews returned to Israel. Everything bloomed like paradise within years. Kibbutzim, moshavim, fruits everywhere, dates everywhere, oranges everywhere. The Jews gave a huge piece of land to the Egyptian in the supposedly peace agreement 40 years ago. A friend of mine, big karate guy, Zarko in Brooklyn, he has karate school, sent me a satellite picture. I laminated it. That was before laptop was invented, over 20 years ago, before I had a computer. I actually laminated the picture. A picture cut in the middle. The territories that Israel gave Egypt before the agreement and how they look today. You'll get the shock of your life. Thousands of acres of fruits and trees all became desert. Hashem said this land will give fruits for my children, no one else. The Arabs could not grow anything in Israel for 1900 years. Arabs who came, it was all swamp, malaria, people are dying. That's why when the Jews came to Israel, they sold the land for peanuts. They measured the land with ropes. They went with a rope around one, two meters, three, four, six hundred meters. How much? Five hundred dollars. Make it four. Yalla, four hundred. Price of a steak in a kosher restaurant. They bought half of Tel Aviv. 
where the American embassy in Tel Aviv, this lot alone worth a hundred million dollars, just the lot. How much the Jews paid for it when they came to Israel from Europe, the Ashkenazim, Yoel Moshe Salomon, Zerach Baranet, all these Hasidim that came in 1880 to dry the swamp? Probably five dollars. The Arabs could not believe how dumb the Jews became. Why would they buy swamp with malaria and mosquitoes biting you and you die? You get, you get fever and you die the next day. That's what happened there. Why would they buy this place? Who wants to leave Europe and come over here to this hell? The Arabs did not understand that it's hell for them. But not for the Jews. And the Jews knew it. Because it's written in the Torah. Once we come back to Israel, the land will bloom. So Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi said it's against the rule. We left Israel. We kicked out to exile. And there's still fruits to these enemies. What is going on? Hashem promised Avraham Avinu in Brit Ben Abetarim that the fourth generation the Jews will be able to enter Israel. Why? Because the punishment of the Amorites, one of the nations that live in Israel, Amori, is not complete yet. Meaning, we have to wait at least four generations until we will be able to kick them out. As long as they did not reach the maximum of their tank. Remember, I made a few lectures about this. Every human being has a tank in Shamaim. Every city has a tank. Every country has a tank. What happened? This is the tank. You make scenes. Let's call this one Itzhak. Itzhak makes scenes. It gets full by the time. It gets full, full, full. It can may take weeks, take months, take years. Once it reaches to the top, it gets all the way to the top. Now it's about to drip out. What happened? Once it goes to the top, you must do tshuva. You wait another week, you're dead. Once it reaches the top, you must die. Because there's no more a place to hold your sins. So what happened? You give a huge amount of charity. It brings a lot down the level. You begin to learn Torah. It comes down. You make confessions when you daven. It comes down. Yom Kippur brings it down. You keep regretting your sin, your shame, you pray, you ask Hashem for forgiveness. It comes down. You get suffering. It comes down. And that's what Hashem said to Avraham Avinu. Only when the sins of the Amorites will reach the top, which based on the way they commit their sins, will take four generations until they deserve to, kick, to be kicked out and lose their place. They're led. Before that, as much as I want to give it to you, I can't. The world is built on justice. You're my son, yes. I'm the judge, yes. But there is a, per a defendant here. It's not the time yet. Same thing Hashem say to about Ishmael. 
ישמעאל יעקב, יעקב also prayed that Esav should not succeed in his mission, plan. ישמעאל was פרא אדם, wild beast, and Hashem say, באשר הוא שם. I judge a person based on what he is now, not what he will be in a year. If a person started to sell drugs a week before Rosh Hashanah, became a drug dealer, in one week he sold to 20 kids and made them addicts, these kids will die soon or will be bums on the street for the rest of their life, like thousands of kids in our communities who dies or become bum, one of the two. You may think Rosh Hashanah, Hashem should kill him and wipe him out and send him to 5,000 years in hell. Rosh Hashanah comes, doesn't die. A few months after Rosh Hashanah, he buys his first Mercedes. Six months later, he buys a nice house in a beautiful town. Five years, ten years, until somebody blow up his car and he dies. And now he goes to hell for 50,000 years. Now he begins to pay for all the kids he killed and for all the things he did. So the question is, why didn't Hashem kill him on the first Rosh Hashanah after a week? It was obvious where he's heading. You don't have to be a genius to know that next Rosh Hashanah, uh, now it's 20 kids. Next Rosh Hashanah will be 2,000 kids. Why you let him get to that point? Kill him now. It's against the rule. Right now, he did not reach his max. And every person has a different tank. Nobody has the same tank. It's depend on your past life, your last life, your reincarnation. You'll die at 70 years old. You were a big Talmud Chacham, Tzadik, Rabbi, learn Torah, teach Torah, do a lot of great things. He had five, six things to fix. Not that much. You don't have such a big tank. You may live 10, 20 years and you die. That's it. You have very little to fix. That's what happened to autistic kids. They die young. Because they're all souls of very righteous people that have one last thing to fix. They come to X amount of years and they're done. So... One person will be born to a religious family with great education and grandparents and they put him in the best yeshiva and he has everything ready for him. Why? Because he has to be Gadol Torah. The other one will be born in the lousiest place on earth, Tel Aviv, next to the beach, next to all the filthy people with their abomination. That's all he's going to see, drug addicts on the street. All kinds of prostitutes on the street coming out from clubs at 2 a.m. at night. Just like Manhattan. And from there, he has to do tshuva. Much harder than the tzaddik who grew up in yeshiva. Nothing to compare. It's all based on how you left the world. That's how Hashem redesigned your life. You know, I told you that I have a friend who's a doctor. One woman works for him. And uh, she married to a Jew. And they have two kids. And the mother is very tough woman. Very, this Goya, very, a real witchy. And the kid, this young kid, 
based on his story, he's probably four or five years old. Every time she scream at him or hit him or anything like that, he begins to scream, I don't like you! I want my other mommy! She was nice to me, not like you. I want to go back to her. He remembers his past life. For every million people in the world, you have one or two that remember their past life without hypnosis. No one have to hypnotize them to do regression. They remember their past life. So this kid, he keeps telling her, my other mommy never yelled at me. She played with me games and da, da, da. And then he said something else. We used to like the tree and put lights on it. What tree is talking about? Christmas. Christmas. What do you see? Just like the Torah say, a goy comes back as a goy, a Jew comes back as a Jew. This Jew lives in illusion that his kids are Jewish. The Torah says, if your wife is not Jewish, your kids are not Jewish. They go in. Hashem gives them not another Jewish soul. So he thinks, I have kids, I'm Jewish, my kids are Jewish or half Jewish. A lot of Americans think like that. In reality, they, don't, they have nothing to do with him. They got a soul of a guy and they came from a different world and they go to a different world. And he said to me, you see... I remember your lecture one time you said a Jew comes back as a Jew and a Goy comes back as a Goy and that someone who has a non-Jewish wife, his kids are not Jewish and that's a perfect proof that this kid is, used to be in his past life also a Goy. And he misses his mother, his other mother. You have many, many thousands of kids like that that remember their past life. There is a parapsychologist, Dr. Ian Stevenson. In my life after that lecture, I show his research. He deals with his kids, he investigates them. No doubt whatsoever. In my film, Life After That, you can see the little uh, clip over there that I put of a kid from Colorado. There's one woman, I think she's from Vietnam, something like that. She's Oriental, Filipino maybe. She married an American guy from Colorado. They show over there how the father played baseball with the kid. And they say that one time when the father came to change his diaper, he was a year and a half years old. This little toddler. In the middle of the father changing his diaper, the little kid said to him, it's strange. I remember when I used to change your diapers. That's what he told him. My father didn't understand. What does it mean he used to change my diapers? He was puzzled, but he didn't know what, what does it mean. He didn't know about reincarnation concept. One day the father brought a family album to the house. And as they're looking in the pages of all the people that passed, this little kid, two years old, he comes to the picture of the grandfather who passed. Here is me! Meaning, the baby, son of this guy, used to be his father. The father is coming back as a child of his son. The, father, the grandfather become the grandchild. Just like the Ariya Kadosh say in Shara Gilgulim, that sometimes Hashem will send your parents back to be your children to torture you like you did to them. 
measure for measure. You better start respecting your parents. Otherwise, you'll deal with the consequences of it. A hundred percent. So, now we understand Moshe sent the spies to check do they still have some righteous goim over there or they already reached the worst that the goim can reach, those seven nations. Why? Because if no one is righteous there, that means they reach the bottom. If they reach the bottom, we can easily occupy the land now. But if they have some righteous goyim, we have a problem. We have to see what to do. This is what Moshe say. Check the land and the nation that sits there. Especially if there is one of a kind. Etz is planted good. Good tree does not move with the wind. Why they compare a tzaddik to a tree? It's Shatul al Palgemaim next to the water. And it's growing tall and solid. Why? The wicked people are like little plants. Wind comes, they move to the left. Northern wind comes, they move to the right. They don't have their own ideology. A designer from Paris decided that men will dress like women. Yes, sir. One idiot decided uh, America should become communist. Yes, sir. Whatever comes out in fashion is after that. But when you're righteous, the last thing you care about is about all these lunatics that reinventing things. We stick to the truth, to the original divine truth that we got. That's why one of the most important things in life is to have solid Jewish ashkafa ideology. And the only way to get them today is to read all the books of Rav Avigdor Miller Zatzal. You didn't do it, you will never be a successful Jew in your lifetime. It's not a privilege or an option. It's a must. You must do it. Now one or two, all his books. You must read them from the beginning to the end carefully. They're all in English, Baruch Hashem. There's up about questions and answers which can contribute a lot to your understanding about life. He talks about all subjects. If he would live today, oh, wow. I, cannot, I can only imagine the headlines the, news, the lefty newspapers would have. Vile, radical, fanatic, extremist. The Torah sometimes looks to the wicked people as an extreme thing, as a fanatic thing. Executing a gay by stoning, if you come to a gay and tell him that that's what God said that he deserved to get, he would think that you're totally crazy and you're very dangerous. He would rather see you in jail. But the problem is that it's not your personal opinion. You read to them, to him, what the Torah says. And by the way, a lot of those gays believe that the Torah is from God. But they just don't believe that sentence. Just like the smokers don't believe that cigarettes killed. Kill. Just like the very fat people don't believe cholesterol kill. Everyone believes what he wants to believe. You choose what's good for you to believe in. And you're always busy lying to yourself. We have in this parasha, the end of the parasha, about slofchad. 
מקושש עצים. ברוק שבת, first one, צלופחד. משה פונים עם ג'ל, he knew he has to execute him, but he just didn't know how. He waited for Hashem to, share, to show him what to do. Hashem said, gather all the people, tell them to take rocks, size of a melon, and everybody throw at his head and blow his head off. Why? That everybody should see what a Mechalel Shabbat deserves to get. And that's what they did to him. He broke Shabbat. Oh, so now the question is, yesterday I spoke about it in my lecture in Brooklyn, about 10 minutes, just about this. But since you mentioned it, he actually did it not because he wanted to rebel against Hashem. He wanted to set an example. Everybody should see what a Mechalel Shabbat gets. That they should never dare to ever violate Shabbat. If we would do this today, by the way, if the land of Israel would change, after you got rid of the liberals and the lefties and the enemies of the Torah, if you have nine righteous judges, Talmidei Chachamim, Tzadikim, and we will renew Sanhedrin. It almost happened, by the way, in the time of Napoleon. Napoleon, the righteous guy, he was righteous towards the Jews. Meaning he was very kind to the Jews. He said to them, why don't you renew your Sanhedrin, the 71 elder Chachamim? Why they did not renew the Sanhedrin? The usual reason, which is politics. Politics. Renew the Sanhedrin. The big court. If we had Sanhedrin, and today two witnesses testify that someone broke Shabbat, and you investigate them, and they gave the Mechalel Shabbat a warning, and he continued, and he didn't care. After you would execute one Mechalel Shabbat, or one gay, you will never have to deal with that ever again for the next seven years. No one will ever dare to do it in public. They will do it in hidden rooms. Make sure, make sure nobody sees, like they do in Iran. But in Iran, you will never see two men holding hands or going to a bar there. Because that's a big life risk for them and for their entire family. Over there, they'll kill their parents as well. If the parents did not denounce them seriously, they will take the parents with them and kill them. They don't have Torah over there. They'll kill innocent people as well. Why the Torah gave these punishments? Not to really execute people. Because the Gemara said that once in 70 years, barely they executed one person. It wasn't really to kill people. It was just to wake up the people to think. It wasn't even to scare them that if they'll do, that's what's going to be their end. No. Because you're, not, you're getting scared if you think they will kill you. But if you already know they don't kill anyone, after a month or two, you know, you're not scared anymore. Right? Like in America. In New York, people smoke grass non-stop everywhere. No one is afraid. Why? The police ask him, you have one for me? <laughs> Nobody cares. They're not going to arrest you for this. Something serious, cocaine, I don't know, something like this. By the way, he's going to write the grass in a report as well. But if it's only that, hey, what's up, officer? Have a nice day. Do me a favor, try to take it home at least. Now they make it legal everywhere. 
The idea is that if people see that they don't arrest anyone that smoke grass in the street, no one is afraid. If they would see they do arrest and give 10 years in prison, in Singapore you get the death penalty for that. You're going to smoke grass in a park alone, and a policeman will catch you, death penalty. When you land in Singapore, the first thing you get in the airport, welcome to the land that distributing or using drugs is death penalty. Welcome. Yeah. That, you should have stayed for the lecture. You were already five steps away from there. Then I spoke about all this last night. That was the whole lecture last night. When he came to the court of heaven thinking, I did for the sake of heaven to teach people never to dare to break Shabbat. Do I deserve a reward or a punishment? Oh, the answer is... He will get a huge punishment. They will show him the Inquisition and the destruction of both temples. They will show him the pogroms, the Holocaust, what's happening now with the Arabs in Israel, the Intifadas and the Hamas and Hezbollah in Iran, all of that. And how many kids are off the derech and how much divorce and how many depressed people and how much Sinat Chinam and how many Mechalelei Shabbat and how many gay parades. And they will tell him, it's all your fault. You brought this to the world. Me? Me? What? Oh, I can't even look at these people. What does it have to do with me? If the nation of Israel will keep two Shabbatot, miyad nigalim, they would get saved from the Mashiach immediately. Two Shabbatot, that's it. You messed up the second Shabbat. Because of you... The Geula did not come, the salvation. Imagine this poor Tzlofchad. But, but, he came back in reincarnation. The Gemara speaks about him. The Ariya Kadosh is the only one who can tell us these secrets about souls, which soul is what. The Gemara says one Hasid, not from Borough Park, also not from Williamsburg or Monroe or Monsi or Lakewood. Also not from Bnei Brak. Hasid of 2,000 years ago, before they invented the modern Hasidut. Meaning he was an extra tzaddik. He had a hole in his fence. A hole in his fence. And he was thinking in Shabbat, tomorrow I will bring some uh, two-by-fours and I will, cut the I will close the hole. I will complete the broken fence. Then Motzei Shabbos, he thought to himself, how did I dare to plan to do a work on Shabbat for Sunday? You're not supposed to plan what's going to be tomorrow at work. So he said, you know what? Because I broke actually the law of Shabbat and I thought about business and work, I decree on myself never to fix this hole. People come, they come. If thieves will come in, let them come in. My problem. I'll never close this hole. I decree on myself this punishment. The Gemara says, 
וגדל שם עץ צלף. He had a miracle, a tree all of a sudden grew up there. And the name of the tree, the tree is צלף. How many trees? One. How do you say one in Aramaic? Chad. צלף חד. That's צלוף חד. That in his past life he broke Shabbat for the sake of heaven. Now he fixed that scene that even to think about something that you're not supposed to do on Shabbat, he already regret he did. Not only he did not break Shabbat, even a thought about breaking Shabbat or doing a, a job, he already punished himself for that. Meaning he fixed his only sin from his past life, Nialotikun. Now, we have to ask, why Moshe Rabbeinu prayed for Yoshua Benun and add to him the letter Yud, but he did not do it for Kalev? Why not for Kalev? Yoshua Benun from which tribe he comes? Yosef. Kalev from which tribe he comes? Yehuda. Yoshua has one thing in his mind. I don't want my rabbi to die. I don't want my rabbi to die. Before the Lubavitcher Rebbe passed, if you come to half of the Hasidic Chabad at least, I'm being careful, I don't want to say all, but half for sure. And we'll say to each one of them, would you sacrifice your life to keep the Rebbe alive another 20 years? Probably half of them with no hesitation would say, of course, I'll die for the Rebbe. So, same thing over here. Yoshua would die for Moshe, for sure. Now, if they will enter Israel, Moshe must pass. He cannot enter Israel. So the faster they go to Israel, the faster his rabbi going to die. So he has incentive to find excuses to delay the process in order for him to keep his rabbi alive. And Moshe knew that he may do something because he loves him so much. So he blessed him that he will be saved from the plot of those spies and their trick. Why did not pray for Kalev? Kalev was also tzaddik. Maybe he also want Moshe to live. The answer is, Kalev is the other way around. He's from the tribe of Yehuda. For him, it's good that they move fast to Israel. The faster they move to Israel, the faster he becomes the king. He doesn't want to stay president. He can become the king. So even if Israel was a horrible place, he will make it look good. He will never speak bad about Israel because speaking bad about Israel is making me stay here in a low position when I can upgrade myself as soon as we move in. So I'm not worried about him. But Kalev himself did not trust himself. So while he was very close to this goyim, and they were very dangerous, he risked his life going to Me'arat HaMachpela, to pray on the grave of Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. That's, by the way, the only source you have in Judaism, in a written 
in the written words of Chazal. Later on, you have hundreds of different sources, but the actual sources of Chazal that to go to pray in a grave of a tzaddik, it's an advantage. That it's a good thing. That the merit of the righteous person that buried there can help you by by trying hard for you, like uh, the Peleoetz, Rav Eliezer Papo, is buried in Bulgari, Bulgaria. So he's, uh, he wrote in his book, everyone will learn in my book, I will do my best to be a good lawyer for him in heaven. I mean, in the court of heaven. He wrote in his book. If Hashem will allow him to be a good lawyer for him or not, I don't know. That's already in the hand of Hashem. But at least he said that he will try to do it. So you see, there is an advantage of asking for the merit of the righteous person who is buried here, and Hashem should have mercy on me and help me, ta-ta-ta-ta-ta. But going to a grave of a tzaddik one billion times will not be equal to coming to one lecture like tonight once. Once. Listen two hours to the Vret Torah, 120,000 mitzvot. Can you go to a grave of a tzaddik 120,000 times in your lifetime? No. And if you could, it's still less. Because that's a rabbinical mitzvah. It's not an obligation from the Torah. It's not in Taryag mitzvot. But to learn Torah, it's in Taryag mitzvot. And limut Torah keneged kulam. So, if you happen to pass by a grave of a tzaddik and you're not learning Torah anyway, you're, you're passing by... Go in and pray. Why not? You're there already. But to close the Torah and the Gemara and to go all the way two hours to a grave of a tzaddik or even 20 minutes, you lose more than you gain. That's why you should always do what the chief rabbis of the generation do. Did you ever see Rav Ovadia Yosef goes to Kivrot Tzadikim? Never. Did you ever see Rabbi Tzion Abba Shaul leave the Torah in the middle of the learning and go to Kivrot Sadikim? Never. Rav Chaim Kenievsky, go to Kivrot Sadikim? Never. The Stipler did this? Never. Anyone, Rav Mazuz, does it? Never. Nobody. No, you never find one Gadol Batorah that will ever do such thing. Same thing with the blue string of the Tzitzit. A lot of people think they are the new Moshe Rabbeinu of the generation. They already know what is the right blue from the Chilazon. You know, Chilazon, snail, has blue blood. One of the things they used to do in the Mishkan, hunting them, catching them with nets. They used to tie the nets. That's why you're not allowed to tie on Shabbat. You're not allowed to hunt animals. You're not allowed to kill animals. So they used to squeeze the blue blood a little bit. Just before the snail died, they throw him back to the water. And they take another one and another one. They finished all of them. They go back to the first one who, in the meantime, reproduce. This blue blood is to paint the beautiful tent and the place looked amazing between the red and the blue. Unbelievable cut. That's why all these things is not allowed on Shabbat. Because in the end, Hashem said to Moshe, all the preparation of the temporary temple, the portable temple, are not permitted on Shabbat. For here you will, will learn there are 39 restrictions on Shabbat. You know, one Hasid, he was eating in Saudat Shlishit by his Rebbe. First of all, he's a huge 
huge promotion for Hasid to eat in his Rebbe's table, to be invited to the house of the Rebbe. The whole the Hasidut will talk about you for a week now. He ate by the Rebbe. He ate by, give me a brocha. What? I, you're, you're eating by the Rebbe. Wow. You get to get the breadcrumbs of the Rebbe. You're so lucky. Can you keep some for us? Tov. So what happened? So this Hasid, it was very humid, and there was a fly. And you know how annoying those flies can be. Keeps touching his forehead, his eye. Keeps going like this. You're not allowed to kill him on Shabbat. The flies, they know. On Shabbat, they're very brave. When they come to Hasidim, they know, here we can abuse everyone. No one will dare to kill me. But this Hasid could not take it anymore. And he went like this. Ah! And the fly fell on the table of the Rebbe. And all the sons, everyone. <gasps> I don't have to tell you what happened to that Hasid. <gasps> it's about to faint. Everyone's in shock for two minutes. Nobody can say a word. Hasid broke Shabbat in the house of his Rebbe, in his face, with no shame. But after a minute or two, you know how it is sometimes the mosquitoes, you think you'll kill them, but they'll come back to life. The mosquitoes started to move and took off. And the Hasid came back to life. Wow, you think I would kill a fly? Come on. I know exactly how hard to eat. <laughs> but that's one of the things you're not allowed to do. So today you have people, they decide to put blue in their tzitzit. What's the pshat? Did you see Rav Chaim Kanievsky put blue? Did you see anyone from Gdolei Ador, Rav Sternbruch, anybody, Rav Mazuz? You see anybody, Gdolei Torah, putting uh, the blue? Who puts the blue? People full of excitement. Those who jump in a forest. Why? How do you know it's the right blue? The Gemara say, the Ari say, there's no difference if you have blue or you don't have a blue, it's the same thing. You can imagine the blue and it's count 100% like you have the blue. It's interesting, you know, the blue string is the longest one. It goes around. It starts as the longest and in the end almost nothing is left from it. Why? Because that's an exceptional. Everybody's attention is on it. Meaning it's pride. Look, I'm special. You start very long. Because of the pride, you finish very small. <laughs> Even smaller than the other seven. That's a hint over here. So now the spies... They are saying, we could not overcome the nation there. They're too strong for us. Kfira, heresy. We have a big question to ask here. People that were presidents of a tribe, and they are kosher. The Torah testified that in time when Moshe nominated them to go on a mission, they were righteous. How were they dare to say such thing that even with Hashem helps, we cannot win against those nations. Even with Hashem's help. How can it be? Before we answer, 
Before we answer what happened to them, we should ask what should we learn from it? What do you learn from this story? Why the Torah brought you the story? To speak gossip? What's the message? The answer is that the person has conscious and subconscious. Almost everything you do comes from your subconscious. Of course, no righteous person that everybody knows is 30, 40 years righteous, a leader of a community, comes on purpose to rebel against Hashem in public. Who would dare to do such thing? Even Baalei Tshuva of two weeks already cannot do such thing. The problem is that the subconscious determines most of what we do. In the Toda'a, in the subconscious. And what happened to them? From the Tatmuda, from the subconscious, the Zohar say, they were afraid on their honor. Maybe they would lose their status. And as a result of that, they could not see the positive of the land. Why? When you receive bribe, you don't lie. You just cannot see the truth. The Torah say, "Hashochad yaver enei chachamim veyisalef divrei tzadikim." The bribe will blind the eyes of the high scholar, the wise people, and will twist the words of the righteous. Meaning, the Torah did not say Reuven will give Shimon bribe. As results of that, Shimon on purpose would lie for him in court. That also happened. People receive money and they lie on purpose. That's not what the Torah say. The warning of the Torah is much deeper. The Torah say, you will never dare to stand in a court of law of the Torah, rabbinical court, hold the Torah, swear in the name of God, and then say a lie knowing you're lying. You'll never dare to do such things. It's that penalty. You're never going to do it. You're not going to mess with me. However, why in the end you will do it? Because you will be convinced 100% that that's the truth, what you're saying. Because once you receive a bribe from Reuven, you cannot see anything negative about this Reuven anymore. When he eats pork, you're going to say he's probably sick, he's pikuach nefesh. When he's going to do beat up his son, you're going to say son is probably such a criminal. You will never be able to see reality anymore. And that's what happened to the spies. What is the bribe? Their job. They get honor. Everyone kiss their hand. Everywhere they go. Kvodo Rav, Kvodo Rav, Kvodo, Kvodo. Give me bracha. Selfie. Kvodo Rav, everywhere you go. Automatically, this is your daily food. You're so afraid to lose it that you think to yourself, wow, if we move to Israel, I'm going to be an ordinary person. No more Kvodo Rav, no more selfie. No one would look at me. It's going to be a king. He's going to steal the show. Therefore, because they are receiving bribe right now, they only saw the negative of Israel. What did they see? Thousands of funerals. How many funerals in one day? How many? 10,000 funerals. How can you have 10,000 funerals in one day? There was no corona yet. 
The Goim used to have a custom. When people die, they don't bury them yet. They hold the body. Until a righteous Goy will die. Once the righteous Goy will die, they bury everyone with him. Why? That his merit will protect all the wicked Goim with him. That's how they believe. So who died that day? Eov. That's why they had 10,000 funerals all over Israel. Why did Hashem do it? That no one would pay attention to the strangers who walks around. How many days it took them to look and check the entire country? There was no cars, remember. How long? On a horse. How long? You can go around the entire Israel from south to north, check everything, check every street, every area. How long? I will take a year. How long it took them to finish? 40 days. Hashem made them a miracle. Why Hashem made it 40? Because for every day, He is going to give us a year punishment. Day for year. 40 days they went around busy preparing the gossip and the bad reputation that they're about to make to the country, to the land. For every day, we, stuck in a, we were stuck in a desert for 40 years. It's actually, it's a little bit strange because it's actually 39 years. Because this incident happened in the second year. And we stayed another 39 years. Every year, Hashem said to the Jews, you cried for nothing. That was Tisha B'Av. The ninth day of Av, it was the day they returned. And they say all the bad things. And everybody started to scream and pull their hair off. And Hashem said, you cry for nothing. This day will be a day of crying forever. First temple was destroyed in Tisha B'Av. Second temple was destroyed in Tisha B'Av. Lots of other tragedies happened in Tisha B'Av. The Holocaust started in Tisha B'Av. A lot of bad things started in Tisha B'Av because of that sin. All the people from 20 to 60 must die. 600,000. When will they die? One day a year. Tisha B'Av. They they, everyone made himself a grave. On Tisha B'Av, they all go in a grave and lay. They cover themselves with linen. They lay in a grave and wait. If they die, they die. The next day, the people who did not die, they will cover the grave. If they did not die, they wait until 15 of Av to make sure. If they didn't die, they know this year I won't die. Every year, 15,000 people die on Tisha B'Av. They all lay in a grave and 15,000 die. The last year, we have only 15,000 left. Besides Yoshua and Kalev, they are the only two who did not die. Everybody died. Just the children that were younger, they didn't die. So wait. The last year, the 15,000 people that laid in the grave did not die. Why? Let's see who is clever here. Every year they all died. The 15,000 that were written in Rosh Hashanah. But the last year, 15,000 last people that they know were going into grave and they're dying, 
This time a miracle happened, they didn't die. Why? Huh? The answer is, Rabotai, there is two ways to pray for your life. Once when you know there are still other sources that can save you besides Hashem, the doctor, the operation, a new medicine, the blessing of the Rebbe. So that means you have Hashem and four other hopes. Hashem and two other hopes. When they went to the grave every year, they say, what is my odds to die? 15,000 out of 40,000 is how many? One out of 40, two and a half percent. I have 97.5 chance not to die first year. So I pray, Hashem, please, I'm begging you. Oh, you, get, you came out, you pray good. Every year, you still know that some people will survive. So you did not pray with a broken heart, with screaming and crying, because naturally, there was a way to survive. But the last time, there was no chance to survive. That's it, you know, it's, you're the last one, you, you must die. That's why everybody scream for their life, begging, 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 levnish, barvenit, ke, a broken heart, Hashem cannot turn down. How do you know people love honor more than money? And we'll finish right here, and the rest will continue tomorrow. Rav Michel Yuda said, this is what he said, listen carefully. He said there was a boy in his yeshiva, Rav Michael Yuda Lefkovich. He passed two, three years ago. More? How many? Five, six? Twelve? I can't count time. Well, we'll check that. Okay, so the honor is talking about the spies. The honor is very strong drive. It's very hard for a person to overcome his hunger for honor, that people will honor him. So I'll give you an example. The honor is the strongest desire, more than other things. More than other things. How do you know it? If you put a ball on the table with food and you want to eat, what desire that is it? Ta'avat achila. You have desire to eat, right? You see food, you see steak. Just came out of the grill and they put it right in a, in a bowl in the middle of the table. You, you smell, you see it. Oh, I, I must have it. Before someone else would stick his fork in it, I better move quick. That's ta'ava. But kavod is asking you to leave some in a plate. You eat 90% of the steak, and you have to leave a little bit, because if you finish the whole thing until the last crumb, people will say, what a pig this guy is. It's bad for your reputation. You couldn't leave a little bit. So now, you fight with yourself. In one hand, you, you enjoy the steak so much, it breaks your heart to leave two bites. 
On the other hand, if you don't leave those two bites, people will say you're a pig. It will ruin your reputation. Which one of these two desires would win when they collide one against the other? You would leave the peace. You will eat your heart for another 10 minutes until they remove the plates. By then, you already, already accepted your destiny. I give you a perfect example. I can give you an example. A person go out on a first date with a girl, and he likes her. Wow, he's already falling in love with her. Beautiful, smile, tzaddikah, smart, charming. And this person is a real pig, meaning everything on the table is fresh. Now, now he's on the first date and they order some food and there's let's say five, six plates on a, on a table. In a normal day, he, 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 he will use his legs to grab, not just two hands. <laughs> right, everything, french fries, this, chicken. But now, there's future on the line here. So now... He's about to normally attack. He take the fork and the knife, take a little piece. Yes, good. So how many years you, you've been in Kolya? You went to seminary in Israel? Wow, so nice. Eat, eat some more. No, no. It's, it's enough. It's not good to eat too much. Now the whole two hours is suffering hell. It's usually every time you see food, he, he eats the plate with it. And now he has to smile and put a show. Well, his heart is grinding and the emotion. There's so much food. Wake up. But he doesn't want to miss the opportunity. He doesn't want to ruin his reputation, his honor. How is she going to look at him and wants a shidduch with him? So which one of the two desire wins? Always the honor. I should rephrase what I say. Not always. Almost always. Some people, their desire for food is so strong. Even if they lose a million dollars, they'll still eat. Who can bring me a proof for that? Proof for that? What did we learn eight days ago? Parashat Be'alotcha. The Jews were eating meat. And they see oh, everybody around die. And the next bite they're going to take, they will also die. So why did they eat? Can't stop themselves. I don't care, I'll die. Give me that steak. I missed that. How many people destroyed their life making a sin one time with a woman and they already knew in their logic that will be the end of their life? All kinds of NBA stars, all kinds of fools. They went with some horrible woman and she blackmailed them for the rest of their life. They had to pay $10 million settlement. Why? They could not stop themselves for 10 minutes desire. How many of them raped people? Even that guy that crashed in a helicopter almost went to jail. He's lucky he had enough connection. They got him off the hook. One woman sued him that he raped her. This huge, uh, the one who crashed in a helicopter. Kobe, Kobe, Yaakov Bryant. 
one woman saw him and he lost in court, I think. Check, check. I don't remember. It was my, 20 years ago. There was, was a lot of noise here. One of my students played in the NBA. He told me, you have to see how they behave, these people. Worse than animals. I asked him, from all the players, he played in 10 teams. Did you ever find one decent, in charge, in control? Say only one. One. <laughs> How do you know who? You don't know, you don't know their names. Only one that you could have a conversation with him. That is married, is good, and is loyal, and is actually behave nicely like a human being. The rest, one lawsuit here, one assault over there, making 10 million, spending 15 million, borrowing money, paying high interest, selling houses, losing money, buying cars, totaling the car, taking drugs, buying guns. What are you, moron? You have a contract, 60 million dollars, what do you, you still think you're in Harlem, in a gang? Walking on with a gun like this? What is this? Cannot take it, you cannot take it out of him. Man. Take the worst criminal, give him uniforms and give him a nice uh, rank. A general. You won't recognize him. From the minute you put those two stars over here, you won't recognize the arse that you had in the neighborhood. Already a different person. A lot of the police, by the way, are ex-criminal. They decided to save them by giving them a job of police. I don't know in America, but that's how it was. What are you? Instead of sending him to jail, we, we sent him to the academy and we made him a policeman. Now he cannot be a criminal. You kill two birds with one stone. A lot of hackers, crooks, they break into accounts, stealing money, forging checks, doing all kinds of things. The FBI decided, instead of putting them 30 years in prison, let's use their knowledge. They sign. They work for the FBI. By making them working for the FBI, you save the world from hundreds of millions they were about to steal. You kill two birds with one stone. Tomorrow we will continue. I want to remind you that next week there's no lectures. Zrat Hashem, my daughter getting married on Sunday. So the whole week it's going to be Sheva Brachot. No lectures next week. Tomorrow is the is a lecture in Brooklyn, 2286 Coney Island Avenue. Please download my app, Rabbi Mizrahi. It's a blue square with Star David. Baruch Hashem, a lot of people downloaded this week after I made the announcement last week. But don't forget, next Monday and Tuesday, no lecture. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen v'amen. Rabbi